to Leading Georgia. I am your host, Brittany Bangert. While it's easy to find information on those leaders that have had a national impact, what about those right here at home? This podcast is about our communities, our leaders, local mayors, executive directors of our charities and nonprofits, our historical societies, our religious institutions. Leading Georgia is a community podcast by them for us. So join me as we learn about our leaders right here at home. This is Leading Georgia. Today's episode is a powerful one. I sit down with the co-founder and executive director of Women on the Rise, Marilyn Wynn. Women on the Rise is a grassroots organization led by formerly incarcerated women working for formerly incarcerated women. At times, I was moved to tears during this conversation. So sit back and absorb the powerful words, the powerful mission of Marilyn Wynn. Well, thank you for sitting down um, for the Leading Georgia podcast today. I really appreciate your time. Um, So you are executive director and co-founder of Women on the Rise. Uh, Before we get to speaking about that organization, I would like to ask you about your origin story, where you grew up, uh, you know, any education or other organizations you've worked with that have led you to Women on the Rise. Okay. I actually grew up and born and raised right here in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, it actually wasn't another organization. It was, uh, then I guess it was, it was the institution of a women's prison in and out the doors that led me into this work. Um, But I have worked with other organizations. I worked with nine to five national Mm. Atlanta working women. I worked with the Center for Working Families. And uh, then I had another organization that is called Reverse Cycle of Incarceration, where I go inside the prison system to uh, uh, facilitate uh, employment development workshop for women. Uh, After banding the box earlier in my career, I realized that people wasn't able to get jobs because they couldn't articulate their backgrounds to employers Mm -hmm. or their work experience that they had inside the system. So that's how I got here. Um, Women on the Rise is an organization that is led by formerly incarcerated women of color. And so I am that um, that one of those women. Yeah, that is amazing. So you saw a need, um, and said, Hey, we need to provide for this. I didn't see a need. I experienced a mm. need. Um, I, like I said, I was born here in Atlanta and I was born in probably one of the first ghettos that they had was mm. called buttermilk bottom, uh, in it's old Fort Worth now. And, um, I, Grew up from a family uh, in poverty, so I was taught to shoplift from a little girl. Mm. And I found myself in prison at 17. I came out of prison and I said, I'm not going to ever go back again, but that didn't happen for me. Uh, being Black, being a woman, being uh, labeled now a convicted felon, uh, I couldn't get a job if I told the truth. Mm. I've had 18 jobs, and I lied to get all 18, but I was also terminated from all 18 which gave, which forced me into, I want to say that's where my life went into a downward spiral because it somewhat forced me into living a life of a career criminal. Mm. When I was working, I did not shoplift. 
when I lost a job due to, they say, falsifying information, then I go back to what I resulted to, to take care yeah. of myself. So um, actually, after doing six prison sentences, um, about to go to prison for the seventh time, I just had a epiphany and a conversation with the judge. You keep sending me back to prison for shoplifting. Uh, guess what? I'm going to come back and do the same thing. Mm. And I can tell you the things that I need that will keep me from going there. And we had the conversation and uh, they kept saying, well, look at your record. I see. Yeah, I want you to sit down and really take a good look at it. You can see the gaps where I'm not shoplifting. That's because I told a lie and I got a job. Mm. But when that ended, when I was terminated, then I went back to doing what I'm doing. Then I ends up here before you. And I talked about him about how humiliating and embarrassing that that felt, but I felt like I had no other choice. Yeah. I felt like the society, the rules of society, once you are convicted of anything, not shoplifting, anything, nobody looks to see what it is, then the bat, the hand goes up, mm. the barriers come, not just for me, but for anyone. And that is what keeps us in that in that cycle of what they named us repeat offenders. Yeah, that's yeah. So yes, of course. Thank you for for sharing that. Because my, um, you know, in research and, and studies I have done, that we hear a lot about the school to prison pipeline, but there's yeah. also like that that cyclical, um, you know, that that cycle of uh, of of repeat offenses, if you will, um, because the opportunities are not there and it's, oh, you have this label on you now. So not only can you, you know, not vote, but we're not going to help you get a job. <laughs> we're going to make everything as hard as possible. Um, so, so just starting off, thank you for doing the work you're doing, uh, because that is no matter what, um, in my opinion, uh, so feel free to argue with me <laughs> that barring a few, uh, crimes, once you pay your debt to society, it should all be wiped clean to me. It should be wiped clean. Yeah. It should be. I mean, I'm I'm looking at um, actually worked a little bit with um, support and vision, visioned a campaign that Georgia Justice Project just got mm. passed. It's similar to what I'm one of the campaigns that I would like to uh, start after we completely shut down ACDC. And it's called Record Redemption. Mm. Um, Georgia Justice Project did something similar to it, and they call it Record Restriction. And it's just like credit. After seven years or a bankruptcy, after 10 years, mm. your your record, once, um, if you have bad credit, after seven years, your uh, the your record is restored. Right. Automatic, automatically. After 10 years for bank record, I mean bankruptcy, your record is restored automatically and i'm looking for i'm i want to start a campaign around that yes. that after certain 10 years maybe after 10 years if a person has uh been working uh paying bills got them a home a house apartment doing what they're supposed to be doing uh whatever society deem us as a model citizen mm. and we're doing those things why should we continue to have to face the barriers of the past. The past is just yes. what it is. It's behind us. Why not? Why not let a record drop off and a person get another chance at life? 
because once you're convicted of anything, it's basically a life sentence mm-hmm. that you have. It's every day, all of your life that you go around and eventually going to run into something and say, oh, you can't do that because you got a record. I might not have been, and I know people uh, that have not been arrested in 30, 40 years. They cannot even rent a high rise. They're seniors and they can't even get into a high rise and they have not committed a crime in that length of time. If they have, they haven't been arrested for it. Mm. So uh, those are some of the things, uh, one of the things that I would like to uh, do in this transition or journey that I'm in here. Yeah. So how did you then from that conversation with the judge um, find yourself, you know, founding uh, women, women on the rise obviously you experienced the need, as you said, and that yes. you were not alone in that experience. Yeah. So, so no, how did I'm it, not. how did that come to you? Well, it came to me, well, when, when I had the conversation with the judge and uh, what we realized, what I realized at that time that um, when he and I had the conversation and it made sense to him, he said, you're right. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to send you back to prison. He said, but the problem with this is I don't have anything to offer you. I don't know what to do now because the only programs that were available were for people that had um, HIV positive or a person that were on drugs. I was neither. Mm. All I needed was a job where I can say I'm formerly incarcerated and not be terminated. Yeah. So we had that dialogue, but I have used drugs before. So when he told me that, I said, but I can still go to drug court. I have used drugs. And anytime you're an addict, it's a possibility mm. that you can always relapse right. and become that addict again. So actually he sent me to Atlanta Fulton County Accountability Account. Um, it was Fulton County Drug Court at the time, but I think it's called Accountability Court now. Uh, so he sent me there. Once he sent me there, I never looked back. I was able to get a job. It wasn't a good job, but it was a job where I can say I'm formerly incarcerated. Mm. Uh, and I actually received an award from uh, President um, Carter and, Rose- and First Lady Rosalind Carter for being the first at that staffing company that made an eight hour I think they gave me four hours for two days they take them eight hour a week job and make it over 40 hour a week job and so I'm happy to say that today I'm on the board of directors of that same staffing company and sadly to say the man that gave me the opportunity just passed away last Mm. week the founder oh gosh CEO of first step staffing Mm. Greg Block he passed away had uh he's been going through uh stage four uh, cancer for, I think, about seven years now. And uh, he, he started this program for folks that was homeless, folks that had, um, he started out for the homeless, but then he realized that there were people that were formerly incarcerated that need yeah. the same service. And so that was the first staffing company that did that. Wow. So I'm happy to say I'm on the board of that staffing company today. Yeah, well, I mean, thank goodness for him. I'm terribly sorry to hear that he has passed after that long struggle with cancer. Um, but thank, thank goodness that he, he did that. And then, and then, so you got that opportunity and of course others did as well. And it has led to this. So, um, that and what, and okay. And so what got me into, I didn't know anything about the work that I do today. I had not even an idea, but what I did know is I needed for someone to 
show me uh, uh, how to get people to take that box off of applications mm. so folks could get an opportunity to get through to an employer for an interview and tell their own story. Uh, all murders are not murders. All rapes is not rapes. Uh, and there's the uh, people maybe shoplifting or stealing. They mm. may be hungry. You you don't know, and nobody asks. Right. So I so I started out soliciting, asking people, "Do you know how and who do I need to talk to to talk to employers about removing that box?" So I I was called crazy at first. But then finally, I ran into, um, this is when I volunteered for uh, 9 to 5 Atlanta Working Women. I met um, Cindy Cameron and Marie Shiver, which was on Schwarzenegger's wife at this mm-hmm. time. And they was doing work around minimum wage. And I was working at the staffing company, uh, working for the staffing company at that time. And so... Uh, a pathway coach called me. She said, we got some people here who want to talk to people making minimum wage. Would you be willing to talk? I said, yeah. But in, and in this conversation, we went to nine to five's office and what was on that board in there, their mission, their mission was we achieve economic justice for low-income women that are directly impacted by employment discrimination. I said, wow, that's me. Mm. that's me and I just kept saying this me but I couldn't express it to these women because there was two white women and I'm a black woman so I already have been uh scrutinized and uh and everything else but and so I'm I, I would sit there and I said I need to figure out how do I stay here how do I get connected to this organization so I actually started volunteering I became one of their uh lead organizers and volunteering. And then I think about a year later, I became co-chair of the board of directors of nine to five Atlanta. And no one knew that I had a background. Mm. So finally we had, and, and also with them, their members determined the campaigns they work on and they worked on uh, labor campaigns was working. I mean, anything that was discriminative at someone's place of employment. That's all they worked on. Mm. And so we finally got a young lady that I felt comfortable talking to. And I started asking questions about, do you know uh, how to remove uh, boxes off of applications? Or do you know anybody that ever did that? She said, oh, I'm from Ohio. And I got some cousins that are in incarcerated. I said, so what do they do when they get out of uh, jail? And she said that, and I twisted that around some type of way. But anyway, she said that uh, in Ohio, they got this thing called ban the box. I said, oh, and she told me what it meant. And so I was saying to myself, that's what we need here. And um, uh, so she, I started talking to her. And so I let her know. And she was, she came there as the lead organizer. Then she became the state director of nine to five Atlanta. So then I disclosed to her, I said, you know, I would like to start a campaign here in Atlanta called Band the Box. And I said, she said, well, we don't work on those kind of campaigns, Miss Marilyn. I said, but your uh, your mission didn't say that. Sorry, that's and I doggy. said, now, it's fine. I said, now that I'm co-chair of the board of directors, I would like to start this uh, campaign. She saw you ain't not, you have never been arrested before. I said, more times than probably you are old. Mm. But anyway, they I had to fight 
in a sense with them to start this campaign because they were so adamant about the work that they do. And they were based over on Pulliam Street, which is in the middle of NPUV. And she says, well, anybody else interested in that? I say, you in the middle of NPUV, if you go one block up the street, I guarantee you 75% of the population up the street has been arrested mm. and can't get a job. So I made a sign and said, if you've ever been arrested and can't get a job, come to this meeting. So about, I think about 30 people showed up at the meeting, largest meeting they ever had. Yeah, wow. And so then they got interest, I mean, took interest in the campaign. And so um, I think uh, we were we were able to get a grant to start a campaign. So then I transitioned from the job that I was working at and start working for nine to five. And again, like I said, I had another organization I was working on that was trying to educate women around being in the box and stuff like that. But then I, I ran into a young lady in um, Savannah and we was uh, protesting for the um, Trevon Martin, uh, Troy Davis, Trevon Martin, um, the killing, the yeah. well, the execution of Troy Davis yeah. and the killing of Trevon, um, Trevon Martin. And so I did a workshop there. So a young lady came up and she said, I like that workshop and I like your presentation. Let's talk. So we started talking and she lived in Atlanta as well. She was a Katrina survivor. And uh, so we started talking, I call it wooing me. So she started wooing me every week we'll meet. And I used to like to drink margaritas. She'll buy me two or three margaritas. Well, let's start an organization. I said, what kind of organization? She said, um, an organization for, um, I forget what she called it, uh, some around families. I said, if I start an organization, it's gonna have to be with women of color and it's gonna have to be around women. Mm. because she said, why do you say that? I said, because when women come out of prison, there is nothing for them, nothing. A man can stand on the corner in front of Home Depot, Lowe's, and get some work. Right. If we stand on the corner, they think one thing. Mm. I said, so it has to be around women of color that are coming out of the system or something about women to change the system. I want to change laws that impacts us. And so we, we batted it around a while and finally we formed the organization Women on the Rise. I think about a year later, we got money for it. And so let me back up. And be, before we did that, while I was at nine to five, we did make history by banning the box with the city of Atlanta first. I and feel like I remember January. the Ban the Box campaign. Yeah. That was banned. Yeah. So that was January 2013. Yeah. We started out at 2011. So we won the first, but it was just banning the box. So once um, I got with, once I, we, we um, created Women on the Rise, we took it back to City Hall because now I knew some stuff mm. and I knew that it needed substance. It needed not just ban the box, but it needed to be where if a person said, this is not me, give that person at least five working days mm. to get documentation showing that it's not them. If the job that they are applying for is not relevant to the, the crime that they committed, they still have that job. Uh, if there's a, something on their record and the reason you're not giving them that job, we want they is to give them a written statement or telling them, well, because this robbery right here 
it's on here. This is why we're not giving this job. So that would give that person some type of documentation. They don't have to wonder why they didn't get the job. Yes. They can go, go and try to get it straightened out. And so then, um, then, then I moved on to women on, the, I mean, women on the rise. And that's, we took that band of box back to city hall and made it legislation with those, uh, with those substances in it. And so from there, it's been history. I've always wanted to close the Atlanta city jail mm-hmm. because I knew that I realized too, that people were there basically big, First of all, they built the jail as extra jail and they built that jail to hide the homeless from the people coming to see the Olympics. Mm. Once we were able to host the Olympics, uh, when we got the news that the Olympics was coming to Atlanta, the city of Atlanta jumped in gear. Oh, we want to beautify the city. We're going to tear down the projects and rebuild. And so they created the homeless population. Mm. Um, so when they tore down the projects, they said, we're going to bring you, we're going to relocate you and we're going to bring you back. When that, when the, when it was time to move back into the projects, they came back with a box. If you've been arrested or convicted or any of that, you couldn't move back. So most of the people came out of the project. Guess what? They had a record. They had nowhere to go. They (laughs) had a record. So they couldn't go back. So that created the homeless population here. And then the crimes rate went up. I mean, I have to say, like, I, I, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you. This is, I I was, uh, when was 96 with the Olympics? I was 14 years old. So I just knew like, oh, okay. There's a whole bunch of stuff here to go do for two weeks in the summer. I had no idea that that's why the Atlanta city jail was, was made. Uh, was built yeah. and that that is absolutely creating. Well, I, I'm I'm um, <laughs> flummoxed and some other negative feelings I have now. Yeah. Um, wow. So since that time, the city jail has been used to uh, house low income folks, people of color. It's always been ninety two percent black in there. Um, you never seen a roadblock in Buckhead. You never seen a roadblock in South Fulton County, all the roadblocks that are set up are set up in low income, depressed, oppressed neighborhoods mm. where people are not already able to pay for a tag decal or pay for uh, insurance when they go through the roadblock or they may have a broken tail light. Majority of the cases that are in the ACDC right now are traffic violations. They got ordinance for spitting on the sidewalk, jaywalking, all of that. And people yes. go to jail. People go to jail for that. They assume and there's that, also a connection right. with, oh, you can't pay your fine. And so, right. yeah. You can't pay your fine. But if you are sitting up a roadblock in a low-income neighborhood, they they didn't have money to buy or, or renew their insurance or buy a tag for their car. They surely cannot pay a two or $300 right. fine. So now you put people in jail and give them 30 days because they can't pay this fine. If they had a job, they lose it. Yeah, it's gone. Some of them lose their homes. Some women have lost kids just because of this. So it's always been there to close it. But when I start talking about closing it, I got a picture up on my wall. Now I'm standing in front of City Hall holding the sign, a homemade sign saying close ACDC. Nobody would stand with me because it just wasn't the time to say that. Right. 
And not, I, that they, like, not, that, not that they didn't want it to happen. Yeah. It just wasn't time to say it. But we stopped talking about it and we start uh, working on a campaigns where, all right, then everything we do, we start, well, okay, we're going to starve the beast. Starving the beast means starving that city jail. It's 471,000 square feet and 14 stories. So we're going to starve the beast. So when we started this campaign, there was at least seven to 800 people a night in the jail. And once we started the campaign, the first thing we did was ban the box. So that would give some people uh, opportunity to get a job yes. so that they that would cut down some of the crime. The next thing we did in collaboration with Solutions Not Punishment and the Racial Justice Action Center, the city of Atlanta has 81 ordinances on their books, which gave the police probable cause to stop, risk, and spitting on the sidewalk, jaywalking, and all that stuff is some of those ordinances. So we were able to get 41 of those 81 ordinances off the books. Then we worked on, uh, we realized that the city of Atlanta wanted to ban sex workers from the city limits uh, if they was caught sex working, but we found out that that was the uh, um, people in uh, Midtown, mm -hmm. Buckhead, that wanted trans women banned from the city of Atlanta. So we found trans people, trans women, a trans organization, and uh, we fought with City Hall about banning people from the city. And so we won it and uh, we won legislation to create a, a design team. That design team created uh, a working group. Out of that working group came, I don't know if you ever heard of Atlanta Fulton County Pre-Arrest Diversion Initiative. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that came out of the program, out of the working oh. group which the campaign now is a 501c3 organization downtown now that the city of Atlanta and Fulton County actually supports and just they just received a, a something point million dollars to not have a two-year pilot program in two or three areas it, it's it, they had it would be expanding citywide wow. now uh, so the next thing we did was clear re reclassification of marijuana legislation mm -hmm. where the city of Atlanta, you go to jail for a roach or less than an ounce of marijuana. You go to jail for a year or two years and with thousands of dollars in fines, we were able to make that a non-arrestable offense and a maximum fine of $75. Wow. So, and with the Southern Center for Human Rights, and some other organizations, we were able to pass bail reform, which we had already spoke with the mayor before. If she want to win to be mayor, you need to get on the criminal justice reform wagon. Yes. And this is one thing we was asking her to do within her first, in her first 100 days, and she did. So all of those things, we starved the beast. So from that time, five years, now six years ago, when it was seven to eight hundred dollars, I mean seven to eight hundred people in the jail. Today it's like twenty-one to twenty-five. Wow. So last year when we 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 launched the close to jail community over cages, close to jail ATL campaign, we launched it two years ago. Last year, May the twenty-eighth, the mayor signed legislation to close and repurpose. Yes. Along with uh working with uh other organizations to end ICE contract. So mm. she immediately ended the ICE contract. She also ended the contract to hold federal detainees as well. So all of that, we starved the beast. 
and wow. now wow. it's time to close. So that's how I got to where I am today. Wow. So it's not just um, because I'm an advocate of ending mass incarceration. Ed, so like, even in that, like you tell your story starting off like, hey, I just want a job. <laughs> like it starts there, like, you know, I just want a chance to just give me a job and look where it is. Like you're contributing to this, this issue of, and I'm saying mass incarceration because that is a, it is a global thing, but let's focus on the United States, but you're doing it like one step at a time right here at home, this whole star of the beast thing. Like, wow. Right. And, wow. and it's always been a goal of mine to end a uh, prison population of women in half women going to prison in half in Georgia anyway. Mm. So, we have in many ways accomplished, we more than halfway there to do that. And uh, once this jail completely closed and be repurposed into what we are asking it to be a center for wellness, equity, and freedom. And mm. that can be a city within itself. And that will be where people that have been impacted by the system can go to this same or something better, different, beautiful, and get the support they need you cannot yes. lock up a problem mm. you have to fix the problem and then you'll fix the whatever it is that you're locking folks up for oh my gosh i mean the, the brilliance of like of course like i wish that this work that you're doing didn't exist like why is why are these problems that we're having to, <laughs> it you know bothers my mind People think they can lock it away. Yeah. They don't realize that no matter how much I steal, if I don't get, I mean, if I don't get a job, that's, that was mine. Yeah. I needed to be able to get a job and say who I am uh, and let my past be my past. But there are people that have mental health problems. There are people mm -hmm. that have drug addiction. You got people that are, don't have education. You got people that do things because of other things that are going on with them. No one figures that out. No yeah. one asks. They don't even ask why. But I think it's coming around now because it's all over where people are trying to reform the criminal yes. justice system. And it's because they realize now that jail do not help anyone. It actually makes mm. it worse. You put a person in jail, like I said, uh, for those people that went to ACDC for traffic violations, some of them had jobs. They lost mm. them because they can't go to jail. Some jobs just ain't on to right. tolerate somebody to go to jail. Some had houses. They lost them because they couldn't pay the rent. Some people's children had, some women had kids that was taken by the system because they're in jail and no one there to keep the kid. So it's, um, and so people, I think uh, it's slowly coming around, but they're realizing that she's not going to die in jail. She's coming back. She's coming back to the same neighborhood. She's going to commit the same crime. But mm -hmm. what's going to happen, I'm going to commit it a little, a little faster now because I have been detained and I come out with nowhere to go and yeah. no money. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a very important thing to say because depending on who you speak to, um, uh, that, you know, you doesn't matter that, who I speak to. Well, I, I'm saying like, everyone, everyone, everyone should know. Everyone right. Should that's know. what I'm saying that like not some people that don't understand that or don't want either are ignorant to those facts for whatever reason that may be just saying, no, if you commit, well, you shouldn't have driven your car if you couldn't have a tag. Well, then how's that person going to get to work? How's that person going to do this and this and this? So having your lives destroyed and your yeah. children, Oh my God, taken away because you couldn't pay a traffic fine. 
It's, and some people just wow. don't understand the logic that everybody is not alike. I'm not as smart as you. Where you may go and say, well, I'm going to go over here and see this person about helping me pay this. A lot of people don't even mm. think that way. Or some people pride will not even let them mm. uh, go and solicit certain things from other people. Right. You, you never know what's going on in a person's head. Right. God, but you I'm, cannot lock it away. Goodness. So, so can I, can I ask, um, because of course I want to hear more and more and more. <laughs> um, but if I can focus on your, on your leadership for a moment, cause I mean, it certainly sounds, so please correct me if I'm wrong, that this was something that you found yourself in said, I need this. I'm not the only one that needs this. So let's do it. And okay. yeah, you sure can. So like I said, when I started out, it wasn't about leadership. Mm, it was about yeah. me. Yeah. And then I realized that hmm, it's not just me. Mm. It's a lot of me that want to do this, that don't have the voice. I'm at a point where I'm not caring. I need everybody to hear. I need everybody to listen because I'm pretty sure that I'm, I'm not, it's not just in my family. It's in a lot of people's family. Even people that have not been impacted by the system uh, can support a, I mean, a support a family member. If yeah. you support the family member that's in the system, you are in the system mm. as well. So anyway, I that's an amazing thought point. about yeah. it. And so what I want, I said to my so my partner, I was telling her the one my partner in business. I was telling her, you know, I need to figure out how to recruit formerly incarcerated women of color. Mm. I know that we don't have self esteem. I know that we are hiding from shame and guilt of what we do. So I need to be able to talk about and teach them and encourage them to tell their own stories. Nobody else can tell your story better than you. And if they tell it, they're going to tell it in a way that you don't want to hear it. Mm. And it's going to make you more shame and more feeling more guilt than what you already do. So I um, started um, by myself, me and this young lady, so I just started outreaching. And I started talking to women. I started putting out uh, pamphlets with messaging on it. Join Women on the Rise. We makes a difference. Our voice is powerful. We do better in numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, all of those things, which is organizing tools that, and we started getting women to come in. But what we found out, um, we couldn't keep them, but we do now. But we couldn't keep them because I, I didn't think about the piece that there are some women that are still afraid to talk because if I say this, I'm going to lose my job. Mm. Um, but the thing that wouldn't hold them was I didn't realize that they had needs as well. So they can't come to all these meetings. They can't do all these things because yeah. some are working, some need child care, some need different needs that we need because yeah. everybody's not able to get a job. So um, we start doing um, uh, trainings. We start before the pandemic come, you know, we will fly them different places to get leadership trainings, somatics, uh, things, uh, training for trauma uh, and different, all of that kind of stuff. Anything that to deal with trauma and to be able so folks can just be themselves yes. and let that shame and guilt go. And so we, we did that with women and, it proved to 
be the right thing to do. Yes. That's how we were able to build our membership wow. uh, based upon the incarcerated women. Wow. I, I like, I'm, I'm like, I'm, <laughs> Like I said, you've I, I've done a, a, a number of episodes now, and I don't. I'm not diminish, diminishing anyone. This is the most powerful <laughs> learning about this. Um, as much as I try to read and be aware about the, like I had no idea about that with the jail, and and of course, yes, there's to say there's second and third, fourth order effects for a person being um, in jail or prison for any reason. And yes, you are absolutely correct. The family is in the system too. And that can, that can have generational effects even. Um, Yeah. yeah, This is um, an incredibly moving discussion we're having (laughs) right now. Yeah. And the family is more deeper in there because it's costing the family. uh, You, you'd be surprised at how much money you spend on phone calls. You spend on commissary. You spend, uh, and even in prison, if a, uh, if I go to medical, they charge me for my medical. And if you don't pay it, when you do get out and get out, get a job, it will be uh, taxed on your taxes. See, so. and that makes zero sense um, to me. Like I can um, go off on a political rant. I will not. But <laughs> it, just, it just makes zero sense how you're going to um, say to a person, um and again, I will preface it with barring some crimes in my mind. So feel free to like, how are you going to put anyone in jail and say, but you have to figure out a way to pay for your medical care? How, yeah. How is that possible? You just, they have they no do. job, no insurance now. Like, how is that possible today? And the prison does not give you any, uh, you don't get paid to work in Georgia prison, period. They not give you anything, but they do charge you. They, if it's a, um, if it's a um, disciplinary, they charge you $5 for even writing you up for the paper oh, that they write you up on. Come on. on. <laughs> like, yeah. see, uh, let's take a moment. Because um, <laughs> I had no idea for some of these things. It's A, a lot of people don't have no idea. Yeah. That's why you have to say the same thing over and over to educate folks. Folks be hollering, go put them in jail. Do this, do that. It don't help. What's it yeah, don't and what's work. what's what's your end goal with that? Is then to um, help shape a person, and no matter what stage of their life they entered um, a, a jail, what is their life going to look like from from that per, from that point on? Because, like you said, like with the band the box, the purpose of a job application is to show your future potential, right? Uh, not your past, you're right. But your future, and so that that was one of the things that you know. Um, I guess that's just how it started because I know that's what I needed. I needed to get to an employer to say why I did what I did. I didn't enjoy shoplifting. Right. I didn't enjoy being standing up. I didn't enjoy st- being I mean, having to stand up in front of a judge with people sneaking in my back mm. because, oh, she stole this or she stole that. Um, you know, it, it was very humiliating. Oh, so, no, gosh. that wasn't something I wanted to do. It so- was something I was forced to do. So how, cause you, cause you spoke a little bit, um, a, a couple of minutes ago about learning the needs of, of the members of women on the rise. So was there a point that you realized like, oh, I am leading this, like I am the decision maker. I'm doing it. Cause when you referred earlier to being the co-chair of, um, it was nine to five that, mm-hmm. that you came about that kind of in a different manner that it was, let me slide under the radar, so to speak, and feel free to use different phasing. Uh, a phrasing to get to that leadership position, but then when with women on the rise, like, no, I'm starting out. 
So how, how did you learn like as a leader then, because it sounds like you have to be highly adaptable at what you do because the needs of each individual are going to be different in addition to the needs of whatever project you're working on. So how do you, how do you adapt then? Um, and because I mean, I'm, I've been very emotional this entire conversation. So how do you, do you detach your emotions or is that like, I mean, uh, no, of course you're emotional about it. No, I'm very emotional about it. Yeah. You can't detach your emotions from it. And the people that I work with carry the same mm. emotions as well. Uh, and their needs. And like I said, they have different needs. So what we did, we were able to get uh, funding so we could open what we started was a, um, a welcome home package. Mm people coming out of the system. I seen the time I came out of jail and I stopped over here in this store and stole something because Gosh. I came out hungry yeah. or I came out with not bus fare to go home, um, whatever. Yeah. But before I, as soon as I come out to jail though, I'm going in this store stealing. So mm. we offers a, a welcome home package of a hundred dollar gift card, uh, $50 for food, $50 for clothing. We also wow. offer a $20 gas card if they have a car or, and we offer a 30 day model card is, uh, so that's free of charge. So right wow. now we are actually giving folks, um, phones. Um, we have, we're giving them, these wow. type yeah. uh, we're giving them, um, um, PP, PPE, um, oh, good. M packages, and uh, if they don't have to be coming out of the system, if someone in the system, uh, our phones is connected in the system. They can anybody yeah. can call me from jail, and uh, so we pay wow. for that ourselves wow. that they can call us. Um, and if they say uh, we have bought diapers, mm. we have helped pay rent, we have helped pay phone bills, we have did a lot of things, and right now. Uh, some we're bailing out people out of jail. We are, if they don't have anywhere to go, we are placing them in housing and paying for it for two to from sixty to ninety uh, ninety days, mm. and we're putting them in housing that will help them get them get on their feet. Yeah, so, so you can't separate yourself emotionally from that. <laughs> of course no, not. No, um, no. Oh my gosh! So this is me. I mean, yeah. it, it wants me, uh, mm. and so I'm trying to build people to. Um, not uh, um, repeat the system, yeah. but, be, but beat the system. Yes. Yeah. Not repeat it, but beat it is what. Yeah. My, so uh, how have, how have, um, I guess the, your operations then been impacted with the virus? Um, but because like the meetings that I saw on the website and all, I assume, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that they're not happening in person right now, but how, how, how are things going with they're going good they happen virtually um good. we still yes. have our monthly membership meeting i think the last meeting we had was 24 people on on the call that's amazing and uh we do uh participatory defense which is uh, where we help family members that have loved ones that are incarcerated instead of trying to hire an attorney mm. to talk for that person. Nobody knows that person better than his family members and friends. So we put together what we call a bio package. And in that bio package, tell you all about that person when they was a kid, 
own up to how they got to where they are today mm-hmm. uh, in the system. And uh, a lot of times we do it with clemency when we're trying to get people out of jail, out of prison. But also we do it with people going to court to show uh, and we connect there, make a connection with the public defender. So the public defender, the public defender can see uh, another part of this person, not just this person that they locked up the other day for committing this crime, but this is what this person has been through all their lives. Hmm. Uh, we also do um, um, a support group of women talk about uh, different issues that they have uh, and people bring issues in. Well, I'm having this problem with my supervisor or with my landlord. Uh, have anybody had this problem before and stuff like that. And then for our staff, we have a therapist uh, along mm-hmm. with somatics. If they need to talk to the therapist that paid that is paid for by Women on the Rise as well. Wow. What an incredible person you are in organization. Like I, this is very like I said before, it's a very so powerful conversation. I am actually trying to expand women on the rise. That yeah, was going to be my I, next question. Thank you. <laughs> As I was, I was about to ask, like there are expansion plans for the organization. Yeah, there are there are expansion plans. There are new campaigns like the Union City, uh, Fulton County Jail, Union City, where they hold the women. So there is plans around that. Uh, but the plan for me is to step down as ED and take another title of ambassador. And I would like to try to uh, 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 build women on the rise nationally in different states. Uh, huh. We are the only formerly incarcerated women of color organization that has closed to jail. We're the only formerly incarcerated women of color organization that has passed every camp won every campaign we've mm. took on. Uh, and uh, I would like to see that replicated throughout the US. Uh, so I am stepping down uh, my position as ED and take on the role as ambassador to build those organizations. So, cause my, my heart like fluttered for a second when you said you're stepping down, but no, you're, you're stepping down from leading this specific one to make that this happen across the country. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to lead anymore, fantastic. but I'm trying to make it happen across the country. Yeah. Uh, and I can't do it sitting in my seat as the ED. Right. Right. That's, I, I need to be able to move and communicate with folks and um, yeah. yeah. So certainly we, um, of course, I wish that there was not a need for this across the country, but um, we know that there is. And um, wow, thank you <laughs> for doing and that. Right now, women, and right now, women of uh, color are going to jail more rapidly mm. than anyone else. And uh, women have always been the head of households uh, all our lives. Uh, and so we are still at the forefront. If you look at a lot of movements and a lot of protesting and a lot of all of this uh, uh, marches and stuff, you see more women than you do anybody. You see a lot of women. Yeah. And you see a lot of women leading it. So I just I just know it's our time and it's the time to the right time to make a difference and bring women to the forefront where they always have been. Uh, It always been, say, always been where women 
was the woman in the house. She ran the house. She ran the husband <laughs> and she worked. Um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The husband went to work and he came home and hung with his buddies or whatever. But she was the one that sent him off to work, send the kids off to work. She go to work. She come home and cook and feed folks and start all over again. So yeah. we've always been the head of our lives and other folks' lives as well. I just, I can't, um, I, I, we're, we're, we're pushing up on, on a time limit. And I just, I, I would, I could talk to you all day about, about this and what and, is happening. And it's, even, um, and it's even like, you know, when kids get in trouble, first thing they say, where's your mom? Oh, yep. Nobody <laughs> never asks, where's your dad? Yeah. It's, where's your mom? Yeah. Um, what was you witness as soon as I told my boy, I please just give me one hour. Here's your tablet time. We'll get back to school. Could have gone in the other room to ask my husband for that password, but no, I had to come in here <laughs> to, yeah. to get a it's game. Mom. And I'm trivializing, like, based off what we have been discussing about to inject some kind of levity. Um, uh, so so I do have one, one final question before we get to my last two that I ask everyone. Um, as far as, I, I was just going to ask this based off Atlanta, but because you're, there's this, um, you want to have this national um, expansion of the organization, um, I assume just based off what you have said and from what I have researched on the website and all that, that involves not just communication with any jail or prison systems and, um, and that people that, you know, are, or used to be in them, but there's a political aspect to it as well, that you have to know the workings of a city hall of a legislature. You do. Yeah. And that's why I would take it to other States. I'm mm. not trying to go to your state cause I don't know your law. Mm. I don't, but if, if, people that are working in those states, different laws got different, I mean, different states have different laws. They have like, we got city council, we got other people, states got aldermen. Mm -hmm. We got some people that don't even have a city council. Right. They may have just uh, county commissioners and stuff like that. So it depends on the structure of their state. And that's why I would try to find those formerly incarcerated women and have a meeting with them and give them the blueprint of what happened here yeah. and how can we make this happen in your way that's amazing i mean i can't <laughs> it's amazing um so the last two i can't believe like that time went so quickly <laughs> i'm watching the clock over here um if i can ask then so i like to ask my second to last question of where you believe you would fit in um there's an organizational leadership paradigm that is um, generally labels. I call the big three transformational leader, um, servant leader, or transactional leader. Have, have, have you ever given any thought or will you real quick as to, as to which of those you, you might um, embody or which of those that you are hoping that you are, are. I like the transformational one. Um, and I like it because of what I want to do now. Mm. I don't want to keep nothing I got. I want to give it to other women of color. I want to just bring, I just want to spread it out, yeah. transition it over here, transition it over there. So if you was on our website and you saw our mission, yep, not our mission, but our vision. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that vision says we transform lives, laws, and social institution. Yes. And so that's mm -hmm. where I am. I want to transform those things. And the only way I can do that is by giving it away. Yeah. That's amazing. 
Yeah, um, so I didn't have to even think about that when you said trans. Yeah, <laughs> you did. I saw you like your eyes closed. Like I'm not even listening to the other ones. It's this one. <laughs> um, yeah. Will you share with us um, uh, three leaders that that you emulate, admire, uh, f- want to follow in their footsteps, for lack of a better term? Just just I say three, just because that's my favorite number. I picked it out. So if you have one, if you have five, um, but will you share a, a, a few people? Um, whose whose leadership you you admire? I do. One just passed away was John Lewis. Mm. Um, I love it. I love it. I love you know. And I had to. And I, I don't. You don't have to add this in there, but there were some things that was going on in my life where he just kept reiterating how you have to forgive the people that have harmed you. Mm. Um, and that kind of. Uh, and, and I, I know he's like that. I met him in person and, you know, he's uh, he's not hidden from the public here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. He's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but that is something about that and him and his uh, tenacity and drive to make things right. Yes. Not fix it or fix nobody, but to make things right, mm-hmm. not just for us, but for everybody. That in itself. Uh, also, uh, of course, Michelle Obama. Um, yes, of course, Michelle Obama uh, and her powerness and powerfulness uh, as a black leader, black woman. I mean, she's a leader that don't want to be a leader. Yes. She has folks following her from uh, little girls to big enough to talk to say Michelle Obama. Um, and then there is, of course, um, Dr. Martin Luther King, who started the movement. Mm. Yes. I remember, I remember my grandparents as when I was a little girl. And actually, I was born two streets over from Dr. Martin Luther King in 044. Wow. Um, and I remember as a little girl how my grandparents them used to be stuck to the um uh TV when uh he was speaking and having marches and stuff like that. And there is one more because I I I were I did admire our president, John F. Kennedy. Um, Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Tremendous answers. Not that anyone ever has a wrong answer. Like I'm going to be like, I actually don't agree with you, like, but I love all your answers. (laughs) Thank you Um, so much. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I listened to Michelle Obama's becoming um, because before COVID, uh, you know, I'd commute. And so I transitioned to listening to books instead of sitting at home and reading them because I have time in the car just, I'm about to do the same hmm. thing. It's transition to because my work has gotten so heavy that I don't have time to read. Yeah. When I'm away from this uh, computer, I don't want to read nothing, but I can mm-hmm. listen. Yeah, and, that's how I am. Uh, well, it yeah. is having, um, it feels like she's talking right to you. And of course she's not. She's talking to however millions of people bought that book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm one I, of them. I have it over there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, oh my gosh. Um, but I cannot thank you enough for taking time from, from what you are doing and from your day to, to sitting down for this conversation, um, to say that this has been a powerful, um, experience for me is an understatement. And, and so, um, I, I was not prepared (laughs) for, um, um, for this conversation, even with all my research. And I'm saying that in a very positive way, please, please, please do not think that I'm saying, um, no. So, I don't know. Yeah, like I'm, I've, um, yeah, yeah, I know. 
Thank you very much for everything you're doing. You've more than welcome. Um, I wish you all of the success. I wish your team all of the su success. I hope we don't need you one day. <laughs> I really do. Um, but thank you so much for this. This all right. amazingly yep. educational um, and and uplifting. And thank you so much for for everything right. you're doing. Okay. So, all right. You're so welcome. Stay safe and stay well. You too. Yes, and I hope our paths cross uh, again. I Absolutely. Too. Right. Thank you so much. And that concludes the Leading Georgia interview with Marilyn Wynn, co-founder and executive director of Women on the Rise. Please check out the description of the episode for more information on Marilyn, Women on the Rise, and their future plans. There is also a survey attached to see what the Atlanta City Jail will be turning into with the community suggestion of the model itself. Take the survey to see the vision that Maryland and Women on the Rise have for an alternative to the jail. On our next episode, I will be sitting down with Atlanta Pride Executive Director, Jamie Ferguson. This is Brittany Bangert for Leading Georgia.